Well, every blessing to you all. Welcome back to my open air pulpit. For those that care to know, it's around two degrees Celsius, a moderate wind, but it's dry, praise the Lord. And as long as it's dry and not too cold, it's always a blessing to come to the open air pulpit. Please go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and at least once a year, Lord willing, I always attempt to read through the entire Old Testament. It's one thing to read it and preach it, and incidentally, please join me this coming Sunday when I begin Exodus chapter 31. Almost finished, <laughs> we're not quite. Uh, that's one thing, to read the scriptures, preach and teach the scriptures, but it's something entirely different just to read the scriptures for oneself. And as of right now, Lord willing, I will enjoy First Samuel tonight, read through it, get a great blessing. But before First Samuel, you've got Ruth and Judges. And it's interesting when you look at Judges, for example, someone like Samson, who was a Nazarite, took vows, was meant to be consecrated, was meant to be holy unto the Lord. And yet look at his personal life. Hanging around with a Gentile, hanging around with a harlot, killing people, commits suicide, and on top of that destroys many of the Philistines that were over him. Contrast someone like Samson to someone like Ruth, who of course would marry into the line of Naomi and be David's grandmother. It's fascinating, isn't it? When you read the scriptures and you see two different people, both saved, incidentally. Samson was a carnal Old Testament saint. Ruth, as far as we can see from scripture, was an upright woman. Difficult to fault her. And yet you look at Samson playing with Delilah, lying to Delilah about his strength about his character. And this always goes back to standing in state. Once a person gets saved, what's it all about? How do you stay on track for the Lord? 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and I thought verse 9 would be a good place to begin. I wrote unto you in an epistle, not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous or extortioners, or with idolaters. For then must you needs go out of the world, like double separation, like the Amish, for example, or the Jehovah's Witnesses, for example. Cut themselves off from everyone and everything, only associate with their own crowd. You won't find that in the scriptures. The Lord God said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be damned. Preach, preach, preach. Preach the gospel in season and out of season. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company, not to company, not to associate with fornicators. Fornicators, meaning people who sleep around. They go from partner to partner. Illicit sex, basically. And we could say this, that Gideon was a fornicator. One of the greats from the Old Testament delivered Israel during a time of apostasy and he too is found over in Judges and yet as a result of Gideon's fall he would cause Israel to go into idolatry like the Church of Rome causes Catholics to go into idolatry with their statues 
with their beads and their deeds. On top of that, Gideon had wives and concubines, children left, right and centre, fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, like don't snub uh, fornicators, because those people need to hear the gospel like you once heard the gospel. Or with the covetous, those that lust. Or extortioners, those that love money. And the Apostle Paul would say how money, or the love of money, is the root of all evil. For then must ye needs go out of the world. John 17, Christ would say, I don't pray for the world. I pray for those that you, being the Father, have given me from among the world that they may all be one in Christ. Picturing first of all that Judas had betrayed Jesus and it was therefore imperative for the eleven to stay together in unity, in harmony. Of course, through the resurrection, we are one in Christ. There's no need to have all these groups come together. In fact, just yesterday, I was told an interesting story from a sister who went to visit another sister who's involved with the Watchman Nee community, the congregation, uh, the local church, as they call themselves. And we have an article on Watchman Nee, <coughs> excuse me, and Witness Lee, if you would care to read it. And basically this sister from the Watchman Nee community was telling the sister that I know that all the churches need to come together for unity, to be one in Christ. And she gets that from John 17. <coughs> <coughs> But John 17, again, isn't dealing with unity for the sake of unity. It's dealing with the apostles, mainly, to come together to show the unbelieving Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. See, a verse without a context is a pretext. You've got to be so careful when it comes to exegeting the scriptures. But now I've written unto you not to keep company. If any man that's is called a brother, be a fornicator, or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, and that's one of the words I want to look at this morning, a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner with such and one, no, not to eat, separate from such a person. So Gideon technically would be considered a fornicator, so too would Abraham. Abraham, later in life, had concubines, had children from the concubines. But again, from verse 11, But now I have written unto you not to keep company, not to associate with someone who is called a brother, not a sister. But verse 9, I wrote unto you in an epistle, in an epistle, which we don't have, incidentally, not to company with fornicators. He's now having to repeat himself, from his previous epistle which doesn't find its way into the new testament but now i've written unto you verse 11 not to keep not to keep company if any man that is called a brother somebody who offers himself as a christian be a fornicator for today we would say porn stars are good examples of fornicators they go from partner to partner your average porn star whether it's a man or woman will sleep with 200 people. Your average porn star is dead by the age of 42. In fact, I read an article maybe two or three years ago which said those in the porn industry are more likely to have 
a mental breakdown, be an alcoholic and commit suicide than probably any other group you could imagine. It's not surprising. If any brother be a fornicator or covetous, lusting. So you could say this, well, if a brother wants to have a pay rise, for example, he wants to better himself, for example, he wants to climb the greasy ladder and he covets such a position in his company, Paul said to covet the best gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14. But John the Baptist from Luke chapter 3 said, be content with your wages. Covetous or an idolater. Someone who puts someone else or something else before the Saviour. Or a railer. Now the term railer is Old English for a mocker, somebody who likes to insult people. Elijah was a railer. Elijah would mock the Baalites back in 1 Kings. The Lord God would mock the lost at the great white throne judgment. And maybe throughout eternity those in hell would hear the Lord God laughing from heaven. Proverbs 1, Psalm chapter 2. But Rayla basically is somebody who likes to brawl, somebody who likes to insult someone, somebody who likes to mock someone. Today we would call such a person a satirist, satire. Now the French are very good at doing satire and so too are the Brits. If you go back to the 1980s there was a television program in the UK called Spitting Image. It ran for maybe 15 or 16 years. Very funny and I have to admit <laughs> to watching that program and laughing. It was very funny and it, it went, uh, went right up until probably the mid to late 1990s and then three or four days ago I saw something about Spitting Image returning and during the height of Spitting Image some uh, British executives contacted their American counterparts and said uh, would they be interested in buying Spitting Image to show to the American market <laughs> and the American executives watched some of the uh, pilot episodes of Spitting Image and uh, weren't particularly impressed they said uh, we don't like the idea of our president and at the time it was uh, Ronald Reagan being made to look like a moron and the British executives typical Brits, arrogant, stuck up, facetious, said, well, that's what we do. We make fun of people. We make fun of Gorbachev, Mitron, John Major, Margaret Thatcher, and of course, Ronald Reagan. Well, the Americans weren't overly impressed with British, uh, British satire and probably wouldn't be very impressed with French satire. If you go back two or three years ago to that terrorist incident in Paris, when the Mohammedans crashed into an office in Paris and gunned down, assassinated French satirists for painting pictures of Muhammad. No sense of humour. <laughs> and yet they paint pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ and Mary and other people in the New Testament and Christians for the most part, including myself, don't jump up and down like a spoilt child. We don't appreciate the Lord Jesus Christ being pictured or painted. You were told from Exodus chapter 20 not to have any image of the Lord God. 
and those Mohammedans broke into the office and, uh, like I say, murdered those French satirists. With such, no, or with such, someone, no, not to eat. Don't hang around with a brother who is a fornicator. Like I say, he goes from partner to partner. Today, porn stars would be a good example of such a person. Also, go back to the first century in Corinth. Uh, fornication was also connected with the temple, the pagan temples in Greece. It was a part of their worship service, like group sex, orgies. That would also take place back in the Old Testament. And uh, Eli's sons were also doing such a thing, apostate Jews. But you got covetous, lusting, somebody wants a pay rise, like I say, he or she is coveting the top job. And yet John the Baptist, one more time, would say, be content. Be content with your wages. And in the context, uh, in the context John the Baptist is speaking to Gentile Roman soldiers, pagans, heathen, idolaters. Incredible, isn't it? Or a drunkard. Here's an interesting thing. Maybe three nights ago, I woke up at two o'clock in the morning and I could hear some voices out the back of my property. And I thought, what's that noise? Two o'clock in the morning. I went out the back and I stood out the back for maybe 30 seconds, 60 seconds. And I could hear a man and a woman talking very loudly. I thought, what are they talking about? Two o'clock in the morning. And she was saying this, it was a man and a woman, like I say, and the woman was saying to the man, this is my house, get out of here. And I thought, no, it's my house. <laughs> you get out of here. I didn't say anything, of course. I was just listening to what was going on. It's two o'clock in the morning. It's pitch black. It's also drizzly and very cold. And she was saying to her male companion, this is my home, my house, get out of here, sort of a thing. And then out of nowhere, she said, uh, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died for our sins. She was heavily intoxicated, slurring her words as she was speaking. Jesus Christ died for our sins. Said it twice. It almost floored me. And I thought, here is a woman, heavily intoxicated, like I say, with her male companion, who was also heavily intoxicated. I couldn't hear him, but I could hear her. And she's, in a roundabout way, witnessing to her male companion. And you say to me, but could Christians be drunk? Or can Christians be perpetually alcoholics? And I believe that is certainly the case. Yes, absolutely. This time last year, we were in Manchester doing some outreach early to late evening. And this gentleman walked over towards us, took one of our tracks, read it, and uh, walked a few yards reading one of our tracks, which I haven't got on me. In fact, I think it may have been that tract. And uh, he was reading it, like I say, turned around, walked back towards me, and uh, basically said to me, I'm a Christian. And I looked at this man, homeless, hadn't shaved in probably two or three weeks, bruises all over his face, wrapped in a blanket, and he said to me, I'm very hungry, would you buy me some dinner? And I said, yes, of course, we always do that. 
Normally I say we'll come back a little later on and uh, we will buy you some dinner before we pack up but as it was bitterly cold and we were not long or we were going to be packing up not much longer or not much later on in the evening I said to him well, I'll buy you some food now and both of us went into a fast food restaurant and we queued up and we queued up and we got talking and incredibly he had the same name as me had been to Spain as a missionary probably had taught himself Spanish had been to a Bible seminary somewhere in Leeds he said to me he was from Leeds but he was now homeless on the streets of Manchester an alcoholic and I was speaking to him trying to encourage him and I said to him uh, well listen my friend you can't go on like this much longer you're 34 35 I forget how old he was uh, you've been in the streets for I think two or three years and uh, two nights ago you just told me how a group tried to kill you some thugs have come out of a nightclub seen this guy on the street sleeping in a tent and they tried to set the tent on fire and I said to him you can't go on like this you're all bruised you're all cut some of his ribs have been broken apparently and I got talking to this guy for maybe 15 20 minutes and I thought I reckon what's happened with him is he's come to the Lord and for uh, his background or from his background as far as his background is concerned he had a drink problem and he's come to the Lord as an alcoholic received Christ as a savior I believe that gone to Spain done his missionary work he told me uh, his parents or his mother had died while he was in Spain and he wasn't close to his father and basically he started to spiral out of control like that woman perhaps outside the back of my home although I don't think she was a, a, a missionary but she could have been a Christian heard the gospel received Christ as a savior hit turbulence and went back to the bottle and now she is struggling with the bottle and this gentleman from Manchester a former missionary is now homeless on the streets of Manchester battling the bottle so I do think it's possible for a drunk an alcoholic a Christian man or woman and I've given you two examples to be just that a Christian drunk or a Christian fornicator go back to Gideon concubines women Abraham concubines I can't find anywhere in the Old Testament where Gideon or Abraham ever repented confessed their sins of fornication and yet according to Hebrews 11 they're both in heaven today so the whole point of this is don't be too quick to judge somebody's salvation and that's part of uh, another verse I'm going to look at shortly surmising but one more time nine I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators don't associate with those people and therefore you'd have to say you shouldn't be hanging around with Gideon for the Old Testament or Abraham of course both were patriarchs especially Abraham very uh, preeminent people uh, Samson was also a very important part of Israel's deliverance from the Philistines uh, he paid with his own life basically he paid with his own life to save Israel and yet look at his state look at his behavior hanging around with a whore lying to her kidding her 
marries another woman or hangs around with a woman before he marries her, a Gentile, and as a result of his association with her, her own community kill her. Yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, unsaved people in the context, or with the covetous, covetous, those that lust. Uh, Matthew 5 says, if you lust after a woman, you've already committed adultery with her in your hearts. Or extortioners, those that make money off poor Christians. Churches today will say, if you don't tithe, God will destroy you. If you don't tithe, they say, you are stealing from the Lord. And they quote Old Testament passages out of context and put those on New Testament Christians, which I'll also discuss this morning. Or with idolaters. Going back to someone like uh, Solomon, son of David, worshipped the gods of his wife's concubines. And as a result of that particular sin, idolatry, he died prematurely around 57 or 58. That's the one sin in scripture where the Lord would just pull the rug from under your feet, whether you, whether you are an Old Testament saint or New Testament saint. He put up with sins of the flesh, like adultery, fornication, and yes, you will answer for that at the judgment seat. But the sin of idolatry is the most serious of all sins in scripture, especially if somebody is saved and they are guilty of that. For then must you needs go out of the world. Basically, cut yourself off from the world like the cults do. And I've given you a couple already. But now I've written unto you not to keep company, don't associate. If any man that is called a brother, if anyone who says he is a brother, not a sister, interestingly, be a fornicator, sleeps around, has group sex, or goes from partner to partner, or covetous, wants to better himself or wants to be a leader in the early church or any church for that matter or an idolater puts anyone or anything ahead of the Lord Jesus Christ or a railer a railer again a mocker somebody who likes to insult other people spitting image like I say would be a good example of that there was a preacher from the UK who was on YouTube maybe still is i haven't checked his channel for quite a long time and he was a very uh vile sort of a character offered himself as a christian and maybe he was i don't know but would use very uh uncouth coarse and uh crude language about people in general and it's my belief that he would fall into the group or he'd come into the category of this old English word for being a railer, insulting people, making fun of people. Maybe this time last year, uh, Stephen Anderson, I think it may have been, yeah, it was Stephen Anderson, put a video up where he was mocking, insulting uh, Jeff Durbin. And I thought, you've got two guys around the same age, you've got Anderson, controversial Christian, and he probably is a Christian, insulting jeff durban a smooth slick calvinist who is also probably a christian and these two are insulting each other it began with anderson mocking uh durban's demeanor apparel uh calling him this and that so on and so forth and uh, durban responded 
by insulting uh, Anderson, making fun of his uh, behavior, so on and so forth. You've got two guys around the same age, both living in the same state in America, interestingly. Their wives are best friends, so there's a personal grudge going on. Having a slinging match, throwing mud at each other, basically. And you say, why would they do that? Well, they are, they are immature, first and foremost. They are carnal. They're in the flesh. But there's also a level of uh, jealousy going on there. Jealousy. Look at verse 4. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, and my spirits with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such and one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So go back to the early church. You have the apostles obviously traveling around, preaching to local communities, writing epistles like 1 Corinthians, and they had authority. And parts of their authority would be to deliver someone Going back to verses 1, 2, and 3, and in the context, a man who was having sex with his mother, could have been biological mother, or stepmother, but it's incest, to take such a person and hand him over to the devil for the destruction of the flesh, to destroy his flesh. And if you go back to someone like uh, John Calvin, he would say, well, this verse gives me justification to torture and murder Michael Servetus. And if you speak to other Calvinist preachers or read their books, they say this verse is in reference to excommunication. Kick a Christian out of the local church. I guess it's like a Muslim who gets saved in the Middle East today, comes to Jesus, is born again, has a new community of people to associate with, falls into sin, like this gentleman from verses 1, 2, and 3, doesn't repent, and the Christian community in the Middle East kick him out. And what do they do now? They've been cut off from their Islamic parents, their Islamic uh, community, that's the sin unto apostasy, of course, in Islam, which means death. They can't go back to their Islamic families, they can't go back to the church, because the church has kick them out. But here, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together, and my spirit, I'm with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such and one, such a person, unto Satan, for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus, judgment seat of Christ. Paul says, take that person, and deal with that person. All this talk about speaking in tongues, prophesying, and enjoying visions. How about this guy who's having sex with his mother? If you don't deal with that, I will. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. People say this, well, we are a New Testament church. We are an apostolic church. This sister that was... Uh, telling me about the lady she spoke to the other day from the uh, Watchman Nee and Witness Lee Church would also say they are apostolic New Testament church and yet their leaders don't know what's going on if you think of uh, Acts chapter 5 
you've got a couple who come into contact with Simon Peter, Ananias and Sapphira, and basically they have sold their property and kept back some of the money from the sale of their property. And Simon Peter knows all about it. And he challenges, uh, he challenges both of them to come clean. They both lie through their teeth. And of course they drop down dead and are carried out and buried. Apostolic knowledge. But you go to Galatians 5, which I may look at shortly. The Apostle Paul doesn't know who is going around preaching another gospel. There's a change in the way the Lord is working. If you think of uh, when uh, James, the son of Zebedee, is murdered by King Herod, none of the apostles attempt to resurrect him. None of the apostles attempt to replace him. If you think of the apostle Paul, starts to lose his eyesight and he has to align his friends to write most of his epistles. None of Paul's friends prayed over him to get his eyesight back. Some of Paul's friends, like Trophimus and Timothy, were sick with, uh, with illnesses. Nobody prayed over them to be healed. In your Acts 5, people were getting healed just by the shadow of Simon Peter. 1 Timothy 6, 1 Timothy 6, look at verse 3. If any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud. He is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness from such, withhold thyself. And the word here is not only uh, railing or railings, but also evil surmisings. Basically, you think the worst of somebody, you make a judgment on scant information, you say, I don't think he is really saved, or I don't think she is really saved, based on what exactly, exactly? Based on their appearance, based on their uh, speech. Go back to the homeless man in Manchester. A drunk, struggling, wanting to get back on his feet, couldn't do it, was uh, hiding, was physically in great pain, and also wanting to get back to, I think he had a sister in Leeds, contrast that to the woman outside of my property at two o'clock in the morning, what's going on? I speak to homeless people regularly and uh, alcoholics, mainly from the uh, homeless community on the streets, and they see our banner and they uh, respond, and sometimes they will mock the banner when they see it, but that's to be expected. They are, on, they are under conviction, obviously. But you're telling me, two o'clock in the morning, pitch black, freezing cold like it is now, a couple are going to be having a conversation, not knowing that I'm listening, and parts of that conversation 
uh, was to do with the Lord Jesus Christ, dying for the sins of the world. She was trying to witness to her companion. It sounds strange to us, but that's what I think she was doing. Railings, mocking, scoffing, making fun of people, Christians making fun of Christians, Anderson making fun of Durban, Durban making fun of Anderson, basically down to jealousy, who's got the more subscribers, who makes the more money, who's the most successful, who's the big cheese. It's immaturity, it's carnality. It goes back to the old natures, evil surmisings. Basically, you look at a situation and you make a judgment and yet the evidence isn't all there. You are too quick to write someone off. It could be someone's salvation. It could be something else. Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. Supposing that gain is godliness from such withdraw thyself going back to first corinthians chapter five but if you really drill into these verses it won't take long to realize that you can't associate with anyone i mean coveting lusting idolatry railing i like a good laugh i like to enjoy something which is amusing and yet i have to be careful now, if I were to sit down and watch Spitting Image today, and like I say, it's coming back, apparently, I'm not sure I could watch it like I did 20 years ago. Yes, the Lord laughs at people, like I say, Proverbs 1, Psalm 2. Yes, Elijah, Old Testament, would laugh, would laugh at the Baalites. But for the New Testament, for now, under grace, we can laugh with people, but I don't think we can laugh at people got to be careful got to be careful uh, chapter 1 uh, chapter 1 look at verse 18 this charge I commit unto thee son Timothy according to the prophecies which went before on thee that thou by them mightest war a good warfare holding faith and a good conscience which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck of whom is Hymenius and Alexander whom I have delivered unto Satan that they may learn learn there's hope for them that they may learn not to blaspheme once again the Apostle Paul as an Apostle had the authority to see what was going on and because he had the authority to see what was going on could intervene and hand people, saved people, carnal people, heretics over to the devil to be chastised, punished, destroy their bodies, their flesh. It could have been to cause certain men to become impotent or for women to become barren. We don't know, but that's the authority that the Apostle Paul would have. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. So when people say they are in an apostolic church, a New Testament church, they have no idea what they are saying. No idea. Listen, the current Pope of Rome only has one kidney. The current Pope of Rome is overweight. Why don't his, or why haven't his cardinals, bishops, prayed over him? 
to have two kidneys, to lose weight. Go back to John Paul II. He was sick for the last 10 years of his life, had Parkinson's, was dribbling, was all over the place. None of his charismatic priests would fly to Rome or priests that were already in Rome. Not one of them prayed over him to be healed. And you say, why didn't they do that? Because they can't do that. The gifts of the Spirit have ceased. Second Timothy chapter 2, look at verse 16. But shun profane and vain babblings, and they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenius and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. This is the reality of false doctrine, false teachings, coming from saved people. Not unsaved people, but saved people backsliders. The word canker, Old English for an ulcer, a disease, something which basically kills the root of a tree. And of course we are grafted into the tree. Go to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3 and Israel is the root. Standing in state, you get saved. Praise the Lord for that. You receive Christ as your saviour. That man in Manchester, told me he had received Christ as a saviour, put himself into the mission field, went to Bible school, went over to Spain, crisscrossed Spain, preaching, read my tract, agreed with everything in my tract, and yet his uh, weakness was drink, basically. For Gideon, it was uh, women, along with... Uh, Solomon and Samson. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Look at verse 3. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions. We've got it right now. People are split. Groups within groups, not just denominations but groups online are you not carnal fleshly and walk as men like unsaved people and yet they are saved but they are appearing to be like unsaved people their behavior going back one more time to Gideon's Samson's and uh, Solomon's was very poor in fact, the Jews back in the Old Testament would have looked at someone like Gideon, Samson, or Solomon and said, uh, they're not really Jews. They aren't real sons of Israel. Had those characters been in churches today, most churches would say, we don't want you in our church. You're not really a Christian. You haven't really been regenerate. Nobody who's really regenerate would behave like you guys are behaving. And yet they were saved. Standing in state, for while one saith, verse 4, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal, following men? Basically, 
you've got Anderson following Hiles, you've got Durban following not only James White, but John Calvin, Carnell, Fleshley. Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos? But ministers, servants, by whom you believed, they got you saved, even as the Lord hath given to every man. Go to chapter 1. Chapter 1. Look at verse 12. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul. I am of Paul. There's your hyperdispensationalists. And I of Apollos. There's your messianic Jews. And I of Cephas. There's your Catholics. And I of Christ. There's your Church of Christ people. Assemblies of God. Those that claim to be apostolic. Through and through. New Testament Christians. And yet their leaders don't know what's going on. I saw an interview. Maybe a year ago. With Donald Trump. And uh, a journalist said to him, well, Mr. President, you've been in office for three years now. You know everything about everything. And he sort of looked rather proud of himself and gave a sort of grudging nod. And he said, uh, but what do you think about UFOs? And he gave a bit of a waffle of an answer. But I thought, hold on a minute. Donald Trump, Boris Johnson, Emmanuel Macron, those people only know, first of all, what their civil servants want them to know. And on top of that, they only know what their intelligence community, officers, agents, want them to know. If you go back to 1945, 1946, when Truman replaced Roosevelt, within minutes of replacing Roosevelt, he was reading top secret documents, didn't even know that they were uh, preparing to do a or test a nuclear bomb in New Mexico. Didn't even know about the Manhattan Project. He was a vice president for several years under Roosevelt, and yet Roosevelt never told him about the Manhattan Project. He had no idea what was going on. And of course, two bombs would later be dropped in Japan. But my point is this, Trump, yes, the most powerful man in the world today knows a lot more than we do, obviously, as to what's going on or who's doing what with who. It goes back to when Ronald Reagan was president. One of the first things he did with uh, Nancy Reagan was to, first of all, phone up Billy Graham, of all people, and say to Billy Graham, uh, jump on a plane, come down to the White House. We're going to open up the files. We're going to read people's... Uh, documents. FBI would uh, present the Reagans with uh, documents on all their Hollywood friends. This is in uh, Billy Graham's autobiography. And they're sitting on the bed, Ronald Reagan and his wife, uh, Nancy Reagan, and Billy's in the room, and they're saying, wow, look at this, Bill Holden has been doing such and such. Wow, look at this, Ginger Rogers has been doing such and such. Hey, look at that, Fred Astaire has been doing such and such, Frank Sinatra, Elvis Presley, Marilyn Monroe, etc, etc. And they spent all night reading personal, private, sensitive documents which the FBI had been accumulating on those people. And here's an interesting thought. Back in the 
40s and 50s, Ronald Reagan was working for the FBI. He was a spy. And he was spying against his own Hollywood uh, community. And that was one of the reasons why Hollywood pushed him out. By the 1950s, he couldn't get work in Hollywood. He was persona non grata. But Trump knows a lot. Yes, of course he does. Boris Johnson knows a lot. Yes, of course he does. Emmanuel Macron knows a lot. Yes, of course they do. But one more time. They only know what they are told. And that is decided by their civil service and their spy agencies. But what they don't know is when the rapture will take place, when the second coming will take place, the exact identity of the Antichrist and the two witnesses. They don't know any more than we do. And your average church leader doesn't know any more than you do if you are a Bible-believing Christian. Now this I say, verse 12, that everyone, not just some, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul. I follow Paul. I am a Pauline Christian. A hyper-dispensationalist, I don't care about the four Gospels, they say, or First and Second Peter, Jude, James, Revelation, Hebrews. They chuck out those books. I follow the Apostle Paul. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am a Messianic Jew. I speak in tongues. I call Jesus Yeshua. I call the Lord Yahweh or Adonai. I am of Cephas. I'm a Roman Catholic. Simon Peter was our first Pope. Carnal, carnal, carnal. And I, unlike all of you lots, and I, of Christ. I only follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't care about the Old Testament. Throw it out. I only read Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and that one verse in the book of Acts where it says how it's better to give than to receive foolishness absolute foolishness and yet that's what people are like for the most part following men it's okay when you first get saved obviously you've got to follow someone when you first get saved if you want to learn to drive you find yourself a driving instructor or you want to teach yourself a language, you find yourself a language tutor. Or you want to learn a trade, you pick yourself somebody who can teach you a trade. Before I got saved, I spent a couple of years having lessons to improve my vocal range. To be a better singer. To improve my singing skills, basically. But after two years or so, going every Saturday morning, I didn't have to go any longer. I knew what to do. I knew which exercises to do. And after two years, I didn't need to go any longer. But here, you've got Christians who are saved, and they are in groups within groups. Going back to being guilty of railing, mocking, scoffing. He's a Paul, well I'm of Apollos. He's of Cephas, well, I'm of Christ. It's carnality. It's immaturity. But again, it's also to do with jealousy. Look at verse 13. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Well, of course, Christ wasn't divided, isn't divided. One church, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. 
Paul wasn't crucified for you. You weren't baptized into his name. Going back to denominations today, or cults today, following the JWs, the Mormons, Catholics, Anglicans, Charismatics. I thank God that I baptized none of you, but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I baptized in mine own name. In fact, 17 says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. So again, Paul is condemning this carnality, this carnal behavior. He's condemning this form of railing, those that were of Cephas, insulting, condemning those that were of Apollos, who were then turning around and saying, well, we are of Paul. And then the real pious brigade would say, well, we are of Christ. Is Christ divided? Absolutely not. Was Paul crucified for you? Was Judge Rutherford? Was Charles Taze Russell? Was Joseph Smith? Was Brigham Young? Was Ellen White crucified for you? Did the Pope die for you? Did Mary die for you? Did Muhammad die for you? Or were you baptized in the name with the authority of Paul? Absolutely not. I thank God that I baptized none of you, but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in mine own name, with my own authority. Go to Galatians chapter 5. So don't get too discouraged or too disillusioned if you see groups within groups fighting it out online or what have you. Uh, on top of that, don't fall for this uh, line or the line where they say, well, we are apostolic. We are a true New Testament church. A true New Testament church from the first century had apostles, which we don't have. They had apostolic knowledge, which isn't relevant today. Like I say, Paul would mention this from Galatians 5 concerning false teachers. But look what Paul didn't know. Galatians chapter 5. Uh, Galatians chapter 5 in fact it's chapter 4 excuse me uh, Galatians chapter 4 look at verse 10 I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment whosoever he be Paul doesn't know who this person is because when he wrote this around 56 AD, apostolic knowledge, wisdom, was decreasing. But go back to Acts chapter 5, when uh, Peter would challenge Ananias and Sapphira around 40 AD, or thereabouts, he knew what was going on. Because the early church up until probably Acts 12 were equipped with supernatural knowledge not just miracles but knowledge but later on Paul doesn't know who these people are or who this particular person is and later on he would say uh, from verse 12 I would they were even cut off which trouble you so a true 
apostolic New Testament church would have apostles, which we don't have today, could do miracles, which are not being done today, would pick out heretics, dangerous people, which you rarely see today, and hand such people over to the devil for destruction, that they would learn not to blaspheme. So you see, there's a big difference between the first century church and the 21st century church. But go back to 1 Corinthians 5. A brother who is a fornicator, covetous, an idolater, don't have company with such a person, separate from such a person, continue to apply that, or come to your logical conclusion with that particular statement, who do you have to fellowship with? Somebody who is coveting? Paul says over in 2 Thessalonians, if you don't work, you don't eat. And in that piece of scripture, it says not to associate with somebody who doesn't work. So you start to cut those people out of the equation. And here Paul, one more time, in fact, look at verse 11. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, which he did, and yet he didn't, but he did as far as the Jews were concerned, not the Gentiles. Why do I yet suffer persecution? Why am I still being blasted by the Judaizers? Then is the offence of the cross ceased. I would, they were even cut off, executed. That trouble you. So take Paul, handing people over to the devil for physical destruction. Look at Peter handing two people over for physical destruction, death. Paul would say they would learn to blaspheme, and they would learn to blaspheme, or learn not to blaspheme, I should say, that they would learn not to blaspheme. The man who was having relations, carnal relations with his mother, would repent. Second Corinthians picks up on that. Was later brought back into the fold, but Ananias and Sapphira weren't given a second chance. They were challenged, and they lied as a result of lying, were cut down, executed. So this video hopefully will be of some help to those who are curious, I guess would be a good word, curious as to why Christians do what they do. And yes, those guys from the Old Testament weren't Christians, but they were still saved by their faith in the one true God, like we are saved <coughs> by our faith in the one true God, had free will, like we have free will, and yet look what they did with their free will. Enjoyed sins of the flesh, and Samson, Solomon died prematurely. Contrast that to Ruth, who was difficult to critique, fault, both living at the same time, Samson and Ruth. Samson, saved man, controversial, Ruth, saved woman, not particularly controversial, both saved, both in heaven today, and yet Peter and Paul, two apostles, both working together at the same time, both writing the New Testament, both traveling around Israel and beyond, both doing miracles, and yet one last time, Peter knows what was going on, Acts 5, whereas here Galatians 4, Paul does not know what is going on. James was executed, Acts 12, nobody resurrects him, nobody replaces him, because 
it's over. The gifts are starting to cease. Timothy was sick, Trophimus was sick, nobody prayed for those people to be healed. And uh, false teachers started to creep in. 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. Was it Diotrephus from memory? Was causing problems. John doesn't say, I'm going to hand him over to the devil to destroy him. John doesn't say he's going to be uh, kicked out of the ministry. John names him, identifies him, explains what he is doing, and then allows him to be dealt with by the Lord. So you see, within three parts of the New Testament, you've got three different things happening. Peter, physical death. Paul, physical chastising, not death. John, neither physical or spiritual, but more of a public proclamation, a public rebuke. And he leaves Diotrephus, or Diotrophus from memory, I forget his exact name. He leaves him to the Lord. He's found over in uh, 3 John, 3 John, and he is dealt with by the Lord. So I'll leave you with that statement. Now the rain is coming down. It's cold, but you know me, once I arrive at the open air pulpit, rain or shine, <laughs> rain or shine, I always attempt to finish what I have begun and hopefully these verses have been of help to anyone who is saved there will always be groups within groups christ would say you have the poor with you always and that's true and you will always have carnal people amongst you that those that are mature uh well-grounded would rise up and deal with the immature carnal christians mainly down to jealousy mainly fighting and bickering over this and that because they are jealous jealousy is a terrible sin god was jealous over israel he's jealous over the church but when christians become jealous over one another how many subscribers how many people go to his church how much do they put in the plate how much do they tithe etc 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 and that really gets a hold on a ministry or a minister it's all over Guilty of railing, evil surmisings, prejudging people, enjoying people's demise, laughing at people, mocking people. I don't think I could really watch Spitting Image, for example, like I did maybe 20 years ago. And when I go on Twitter and I read some of the posts that are on Twitter, I have to restrain myself sometimes <laughs> for not getting overly involved with some of the stuff which is posted. Like I said, I've been following politics for a long time. I know too much about politics and politicians, and I have to say, step away from it, James. It's not my remit. My purpose is to get the gospel out. Uh, stay in the scripture, and like I say tonight, Lord willing, uh, start with First Samuel and read more about God's people, how they deal with situations, whether it's good or bad, right or wrong. We're all prone to the flesh. We are all carnal. We all uh, do things we shouldn't do. We all have the battle concerning standing and state. And that's what the judgment seat of Christ is all about. So on that statement, I'm going to sign out, get out the rain, and uh, wish you every blessing, happiness and joy in the wonderful name of our God and Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.